Chapter 37, Part 1 of Principles of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Principles of Geology by Charles Lyell, Section 84. Chapter 37, Laws which regulate the geographical distribution of species. Analogy of climate not attended with identity of species. Botanical geography. Stations, habitations, distinct provinces of indigenous plants, vegetation of islands, marine vegetation, in what manner plants become diffused, effects of wind, rivers, marine currents, agency of animals, many seeds pass through the stomachs of animals and birds undigested, agency of man in the dispersion of plants both voluntary and involuntary, its analogy to that of the inferior animals. Next to determining the question whether species have a real existence, the consideration of the laws which regulate their geographical distribution is a subject of primary importance to the geologist. It is only by studying these laws with attention, by observing the positions which groups of species occupy at present, and inquiring how these may be varied in the course of time by migrations, by changes in physical geography and other causes, that we can hope to learn whether the duration of species be limited or in what manner the state of the animate world is affected by the endless vicissitudes of the inanimate. Different regions inhabited by distinct species. That different regions of the globe are inhabited by entirely distinct animals and plants is a fact which has been familiar to all naturalists since Buffon first pointed out the want of specific identity between the land quadrupeds of America and those of the Old World. The same phenomenon has, in later times, been forced in a striking manner upon our attention by the examination of New Holland, where the indigenous species of animals and plants were found to be, almost without exception, distinct from those known in other parts of the world. But the extent of this parceling out of the globe amongst different nations, as they have been termed, of plants and animals, the universality of a phenomenon so extraordinary and unexpected may be considered as one of the most interesting facts clearly established by the advance of modern science. Scarcely 1,400 species of plants appear to have been known and described by the Greeks, Romans, and Arabians. At present, more than 3,000 species are enumerated as natives of our own island, 841. In other parts of the world, there have been now collected, 1846, upward of 100,000 species, specimens of which are preserved in European herbariums. It was not to be supposed, therefore, that the ancients should have acquired any correct notions of respecting what may be called the geography of plants, although the influence of climate on the character of the vegetation could hardly have escaped their observation. Antecedently to investigation, there was no reason for presuming that the vegetable production growing wild in the eastern hemisphere should be unlike those of the western, in the same latitude, nor that the plants of the Cape of Good Hope should be unlike those of the south of Europe, situations where the climate is little dissimilar. The contrary supposition would have seemed more probable, and we might have anticipated an almost perfect identity in the animals and plants which inhabit corresponding parallels of latitude. The discovery, therefore, that each separate region of the globe, both of the land and water, is occupied by distinct groups of species, and that most of the exceptions to this general rule may be referred to disseminating causes now in operation, is eminently calculated to excite curiosity, and to stimulate us to seek some hypothesis respecting the first introduction of species which may be reconcilable with such phenomena. Botanical Geography. A comparison of the plants of different regions of the globe affords results more to be depended upon in the present state of our knowledge than those relating to the animal kingdom, 
because the science of botany is more advanced and probably comprehends a great proportion of the total number of the vegetable productions of the whole earth. Humboldt, in several eloquent passages of his personal narrative, was among the first to promulgate philosophical views on this subject. Every hemisphere, says this traveler, produces plants of different species, and it is not by the diversity of climates that we can attempt to explain why equinoctial Africa has no Lauriae and the New World no heaths, why the Calciariae are found only in the southern hemisphere, why the birds of the continent of India glow with colors less splendid than the birds of the hot parts of America, finally, why the tiger is peculiar to Asia and the Orinthorhynchus to New Holland. We can conceive, he adds, that a small number of the families of plants, for instance, the Musaceae and the palms, cannot belong to very cold regions on account of their internal structure and the importance of certain organs, but we cannot explain why no one of the family of Melastomus vegetates north of the parallel of thirty degrees, or why no rose tree belongs to the southern hemisphere. Analogy of climates is often found in the two continents without identity of productions. 843. The luminous essay of De Candolle on botanical geography presents us with the fruits of his own researches and those of Humboldt, Brown, and other eminent botanists so arranged that the principal phenomena of the distribution of plants are exhibited in connection with the causes to which they are chiefly referable. 844. It might not perhaps be difficult, observes this writer, to find two points in the United States and in Europe, or in equinoctial America and Africa, which present all the same circumstances, as, for example, the same temperature, the same height above the sea, a similar soil, an equal dose of humidity, yet nearly all, perhaps all, the plants in these two similar localities shall be distinct. A certain degree of analogy, indeed, of aspect, and even of structure, might very possibly be discoverable between the plants of the two localities in question. But the species would in general be different. Circumstances, therefore, different from those which now determine the stations, have had an influence on the habitations of plants. Stations and Habitations of Plants As I shall frequently have occasion to speak of the stations and habitations of plants in the technical sense in which the terms are used in the above passage, I may remind the geologist that stations indicates the peculiar nature of the locality where each species is accustomed to grow, and has reference to climate, soil, humidity, light, elevation above the sea, and other analogous circumstances, whereas by habitation is meant a general indication of the country where a plant grows wild. Thus the station of a plant may be a salt marsh, a hillside, the bed of the sea, or a stagnant pool. Its habitation may be Europe, North America, or New Holland, between the tropics. The study of stations has been styled the topography, that of habitations, the geography of botany. The terms thus defined express each a distinct class of ideas, which have been often confounded together and which are equally applicable in zoology. In farther illustration of the principle above alluded to, that differences of longitude, independently of any influence of temperature, is accompanied by a great and sometimes a complete diversity in the species of plants, De Candolle observes that out of 2,891 species of phenogamous plants described by Persch in the United States, there are only 385 which are found in northern or temperate Europe. M. M. Humboldt and Bonpland, in all their travels through equinoctial America, found only 24 species, these being all Cyperaceae and Graminae, common to America and any part of the Old World. They collected, it is true, chiefly on the mountains, or the proportion would have been larger, for Dr. J. Hooker informs me that many tropical plants of the New World are identical with African species. 
Nevertheless, the general discordance of these floras is very striking. On comparing New Holland with Europe, Mr. Brown ascertained that out of 4,100 species discovered in Australia, there were only 166 common to Europe, and of this small number there were some few which may have been transported thither by man. Almost all of the 166 species were cryptogamic, and the rest consist, in nearly every case, of phenogamous plants which also inhabit intervening regions. But what is still more remarkable, in the more widely separated parts of the ancient continent, notwithstanding the existence of an uninterrupted land communication, the diversity in the specific character of the respective vegetations is almost as striking. Thus there is found one assemblage of species in China, another in the countries bordering the Black Sea and the Caspian, a third in those surrounding the Mediterranean, a fourth in the great platforms of Siberia and Tartary, and so forth. The distinctness of the groups of indigenous plants in the same parallel of latitude is greatest where continents are disjoined by a wide expanse of ocean. In the northern hemisphere, near the pole, where the extremities of Europe, Asia, and America unite or approach near to one another, a considerable number of the same species of plants are found, common to the three continents. But it has been remarked that these plants, which are thus so widely diffused in the Arctic regions, are also found in the chain of the Aleutian Islands, which stretch almost across from America to Asia, and which may probably have served as the channel of communication for the partial blending of the floras of the adjoining regions. It has indeed been observed to be a general rule that plants found at two points very remote from each other occur also in places intermediate. Dr. J. Hooker informs me that in high latitudes in the southern ocean, in spite of the great extent of the sea, floras of widely disconnected islands contain many species in common, perhaps icebergs transporting to vast distances not only stones but soil with the seeds of plants, may explain this unusually wide diffusion of insular plants. In islands very distant from continents, the total number of plants is comparatively small, but a large proportion of the species are such as occur nowhere else. Insofar as the flora of such islands is not peculiar to them, it contains, in general, species common to the nearest mainlands. 845. The islands of the Great Southern Ocean exemplify these rules, the easternmost containing more American and the western more Indian plants. 846. Madeira and Tenerife contain many species, and even entire genera, peculiar to them, but they have also plants in common with Portugal, Spain, the Azores, and the northwest coast of Africa. 847. In the Canaries, out of 533 species of phenogamous plants, it is said that 310 are peculiar to these islands, and the rest identical with those of the African continent. But in the flora of St. Helena, which is so far distant even from the western shores of Africa, there have been found, out of thirty native species of the phenogamous class, only one or two which are found in any other part of the globe. On the other hand, of sixty cryptogamic plants, collected by Dr. J. Hooker in the same island, twelve only were peculiar. The natural history of the Galapagos archipelago, described by Mr. Darwin, affords another very instructive illustration of the laws governing the geographical distribution of plants and animals in islands. This group consists of ten principal islands situated in the Pacific Ocean under the equator about 600 miles westward of the coast of South America. As they are all formed of volcanic rocks, many of the craters, of which there are about 2,000 in number, having a very fresh aspect, we may regard the whole as much more modern in origin than the mass of the adjoining continent. Yet neither has the flora nor fauna been derived from South America, but consist of species for the most part indigenous, yet stamped with a character decidedly South American. What is still more singular, there is a difference between the species inhabiting the different islands. Of flowering plants, for example, there are 185 species at present known, 
and 40 cryptogamic, making together 225. 100 of the former class are new species, probably confined to this archipelago, and of the rest, 10 at least have been introduced by man. Of 21 species of Compositae, all but one are peculiar, and they belong to 12 genera, no less than 10 of which genera are confined to the Galapagos. Dr. Hooker observes that the type of this flora has an undoubted relation to that of the western side of South America, and he detects in it no affinity with that of the numerous islands scattered over other parts of the Pacific. So in regard to the birds, reptiles, land shells, and insects, this archipelago, standing as it does in the Pacific Ocean, is zoologically part of America. Although each small island is not more than 50 or 60 miles apart, and most of them are in sight of each other, formed of precisely the same rocks, rising nearly to an equal height, and placed under a similar climate, they are tenanted each by a different set of beings, the tortoises, mocking thrushes, finches, beetles, scarcely any two of them ever ranging over the whole, and often not even common to any two of the islands. The archipelago, says Mr. Darwin, is a little world within itself, or rather a satellite attached to America, whence it has derived a few stray colonists, and has received the general character of its indigenous productions. One is astonished, he adds, at the amount of creative force displayed on so many small, barren, and rocky islands, and still more so at its diverse yet analogous action on points so near each other. I have said that the Galapagos archipelago might be called a satellite attached to America, but it should rather be called a group of satellites physically similar, organically distinct, yet intimately related to each other, and all related in a marked, though much lesser degree, to the great American continent. 848. Number of Botanical Provinces De Candolle has enumerated twenty great botanical provinces inhabited by indigenous or aboriginal plants, and although many of these contain a variety of species which are common to several others, and sometimes to places very remote, yet the lines of demarcation are, upon the whole, astonishingly well defined. 849. Nor is it likely that the bearing of the evidence on which these general views are founded will ever be materially affected, since they are already confirmed by the examination of nearly 100,000 species of plants. The entire change of opinion which the contemplation of those phenomena has brought about is worthy of remark. The first travelers were persuaded that they should find, in distant regions, the plants of their own country, and they took a pleasure in giving them the same names. It was some time before this illusion was dissipated, but so fully sensible did botanists at last become of the extreme smallness of the number of phenogamous plants common to different continents, that the ancient floras fell into disrepute. All grew diffident of the pretended identifications, and we now find that every naturalist is inclined to examine each supposed exception with scrupulous severity. 850. If they admit the fact, they begin to speculate on the mode whereby the seeds may have been transported from one country into the other, or inquire on which of two continents the plant was indigenous, assuming that a species, like an individual, cannot have two birthplaces. Marine Vegetation the marine vegetation is divisible into different systems like those prevailing on the land, but they are much fewer, as we might have expected, the temperature of the ocean being more uniform than that of the atmosphere, and consequently the dispersion of species from one zone to another being less frequently checked by the intervention of uncongenial climates, the proportion also of land to sea throughout the globe being small. The migration of marine plants is not so often stopped by barriers of land, as is that of the terrestrial species by the ocean. The number of hydrophytes, as they are termed, is very considerable, and their stations are found to be infinitely more varied than could have been anticipated, 
For while some plants are covered and uncovered daily by the tide, others live at the depth of several hundred feet. Among the known provinces of algae, we may mention, first, the north circumpolar, from latitude 60 degrees north to the pole, secondly, the north Atlantic, or the region of Fucus proper and Delisarie, extending from latitude 40 degrees north to latitude 60 degrees north, Thirdly, that of the Mediterranean, which may be regarded as a subregion of the fourth or warmer temperate zone of the Atlantic, between latitude 23 degrees north and latitude 40 degrees north. Fifthly, the tropical Atlantic, in which the Sargassum, Rhodomelia, Corallinia, and Siphonia abound. Sixthly, the South Atlantic, where the Fucus reappears. Seventhly, the Antarctic American, comprehending from Chile to Cape Horn, the Falkland Islands, and thence round the world south of latitude 50 degrees south. Eighthly, the Australian and New Zealand, which is very peculiar, being characterized, among other generic forms, by Cystocereae and Fusiae. Ninthly, the Indian Ocean and Red Sea. And tenthly, the Chinese and Japanese Seas. 851. In addition to the above provinces, there are several others not yet well determined in the Pacific Ocean and elsewhere. There are, however, many species which range through several of these geographical regions of subaqueous vegetation, being common to very remote countries, as, for example, to the coasts of Europe and the United States and others, to Cape Horn and Van Diemen's Land, the same plants extending also for the most part to the New Zealand Sea, of the species strictly Antarctic, excluding the New Zealand and Tasmanian groups, Dr. Hooker has identified not less than a fifth part of the whole of the British algae, Yet is there a much smaller proportion of cosmopolite species among the algae than among the terrestrial cellular plants, such as lichens, mosses, and hepaticae. It must always be borne in mind that the distinctness alluded to between the provinces, whether of subaqueous or terrestrial plants, relates strictly to species and not to forms. In regard to the numerical preponderance of certain forms, and many peculiarities of internal structure, there is usually a marked agreement in the vegetable productions of districts placed in corresponding latitudes and under similar physical circumstances, however remote their position. Thus, there are innumerable points of analogy between the vegetation of the Brazils, Equinoctial Africa, and India, and there are also points of difference wherein the plants of these regions are distinguishable from all extratropical groups. But there is a very small proportion of the entire number of species common to the three continents, the same may be said if we compare the plants of the United States with that of the middle of Europe. The species are distinct, but the forms are often so analogous as to have been styled geographical representatives. There are very few species of phanogamous plants, says Dr. J. Hooker, common to Van Diemen's Land, New Zealand, and Fuegia, but a great many genera, and some of them are confined to those three distant regions of the southern hemisphere, being in many instances each severally represented by a single species. The same naturalist also observes that the southern temperate as well as the Antarctic regions possesses each of them representatives of some of the genera of the analogous climates of the opposite hemisphere, but very few of the species are identical unless they be such as are equally diffused over other countries, or which inhabit the Andes by the aid of which they have evidently effected their passage southwards. Manner in which plants become diffused. Winds. Let us now consider what means of diffusion, independently of the agency of man, are possessed by plants, whereby, in the course of ages, they may be enabled to stray from one of the botanical provinces above mentioned to another, and to establish new colonies at a great distance from their birthplace. 
The principle of the inanimate agents provided by nature for scattering the seeds of plants over the globe are the movements of the atmosphere and of the ocean, and the constant flow of water from the mountains to the sea. To begin with the winds, a great number of seeds are furnished with downy and feathery appendages, enabling them, when ripe, to float in the air, and to be wafted easily to great distances by the most gentle breeze. Other plants are fitted for dispersion by means of an attached wing, as in the case of the fir tree, so that they are caught up by the wind as they fall from the cone, and are carried to a distance. Amongst the comparatively small number of plants known to Linnaeus, no less than 138 genera are enumerated as having winged seeds. As winds often prevail for days, weeks, or even months together, in the same direction, these means of transportation may sometimes be without limits, and even the heavier grains may be borne through considerable spaces in a very short time during ordinary tempests, for strong gales which can sweep along grains of sand often move at the rate of about forty miles an hour, and if the storm be very violent at the rate of fifty-six miles, 852. The hurricanes of tropical regions which root up trees and throw down buildings sweep along at the rate of 90 miles an hour, so that, forever how short a time they prevail, they may carry even the heavier fruits and seeds over friths of seas of considerable width, and doubtless are often the means of introducing into islands the vegetation of adjoining continents. Whirlwinds are also instrumental in bearing along heavy vegetable substances to considerable distances. Slight ones may frequently be observed in our fields, in summer carrying up haycocks into the air, and then letting fall small tufts of hay far and wide over the country. But they are sometimes so powerful as to dry up lakes and ponds, and to break off the boughs of trees, and carry them up in a whirling column of air. Franklin tells us, in one of his letters, that he saw in Maryland a whirlwind which began by taking up the dust which lay in the road, in the form of a sugar loaf with the pointed end downwards, and soon after grew to the height of forty or fifty feet, being twenty or thirty in diameter. It advanced in a direction contrary to the wind, and although the rotary motion of the column was surprisingly rapid, its onward progress was sufficiently slow to allow a man to keep pace with it on foot. Franklin followed it on horseback, accompanied by his son, for three-quarters of a mile, and saw it enter a wood where it twisted and turned round large trees with surprising force. These were carried up in a spiral line, and were seen flying in the air, together with boughs and innumerable leaves, which, from their height, appeared reduced to the apparent size of flies. As this cause operates at different intervals of time throughout a great portion of the earth's surface, it may be the means of bearing not only plants but insects, land testaceae, and their eggs, with many other species of animals, to points which they could never otherwise have reached, and from which they may then begin to propagate themselves again as from a new center. Distribution of Cryptogamous Plants it has been found that a great numerical proportion of the exceptions to the limitation of species to certain quarters of the globe occur in the various tribes of cryptogamic plants. Linnaeus observed that, as the germs of plants of this class, such as mosses, fungi, and lichens, consist of an impalpable powder, the particles of which are scarcely visible to the naked eye, there is no difficulty to account for their being dispersed throughout the atmosphere and carried to every point of the globe where there is a station fitted for them. Lichens, in particular, ascend to great elevations, sometimes growing 2,000 feet above the line of perpetual snow, at the utmost limits of vegetation, and where the mean temperature is nearly at the freezing point. This elevated position must contribute greatly to facilitate the dispersion of those buoyant particles of which their fructification consists. 853. 
Some have inferred from the springing up of mushrooms wherever particular soils and decomposed organic matter are mixed together that the production of fungi is accidental and not analogous to that of perfect plants. But Freeze, whose authority on these questions is entitled to the highest respect, has shown the fallacy of this argument in favor of the old doctrine of equivocal generation. The sporules of fungi, says this naturalist, are so infinite that in a single individual of reticularia maxima I have counted above ten millions, and so subtle as to be scarcely visible, often resembling thin smoke, so light that they may be raised perhaps by evaporation into the atmosphere, and dispersed in so many ways by the attraction of the sun, by insects, wind, elasticity, adhesion, and etc., that it is difficult to conceive a place from which they may be excluded. 854. The club moss called Lycopodium cernuum affords a striking example of a cryptogamous plant universally distributed over all equinoctial countries. It scarcely ever passes beyond the northern tropic, except in one instance, where it appears around the hot springs in the Azores, although it is neither an inhabitant of the Canaries nor Madeira. Doubtless its microscopic sporules are everywhere present, ready to germinate on any spot where they can enjoy throughout the year the proper quantity of warmth, moisture, light, and other conditions essential to the species. Almost every lichen brought home from the southern hemisphere by the Antarctic expedition under Sir James Ross, amounting to no less than two hundred species, was ascertained to be also an inhabitant of the northern hemisphere, and almost all of them European. End of chapter 37, part 1